Hi, this is Tamsin Granger. This is Dan Abuha. With Tamsin and Dan read the paper. I don't even know what day it is. It's the 28th of September. It's the 28th of September? Yeah. Okay. It's Wednesday. We're late this week, 2022, because we were in California. That's right. We took a trip. We took a trip to visit the the Pepper family. Right. So Pepper turned two. That's right. Our granddaughter, our California granddaughter. In Ventura. So we were visiting uh, Zeke and Noel and their daughter, Pepper. Uh, not necessarily in that order. Uh, and uh, Pepper's a pip. Would you agree with that? Yes, Pepper's a pip. Yeah. She helped me make the cupcakes for the birthday party. Which were de rigueur. She said, that's what you have at a birthday party. You have cupcakes. She demanded cupcakes. Cupcakes? Cupcakes. That's close enough. And uh, the idea. She, um, she helped uh, stir the batter and... Put on the frosting. Put on the sprinkles. I, I she was generous with the sprinkles. Yes, I, I must say she would smash the pot, the cupcakes with the frosting on it into the sprinkles. Right, and uh, that was main, her main thing. I think was the sprinkles. So last year she barely smashed her smash cake. Her this feet. year she was smashing the cupcakes like crazy into the sprinkles. Yeah, and so she was uh, a help. Yeah, she was quite the baker. So it was a party at a park. Yeah, well, that's what's interesting, because you can do this in California, I guess, you, because the weather is so consistent and so reliable. You can say, well, we'll just go to some park. We can count on it being sunny and beautiful, and we invite uh, a boatload of people, and uh, the kids have a place to play. I mean, the park is uh, has all this stuff to play on, and we're just on the side in a table with refreshments and uh, a cake, and uh, in this case, a piñata. Right. You don't have to clean up the house no. before or after the party. Right. And uh, it works. It works. And it's a beautiful park. We've been to this park before. Uh, and, uh, you know, listen, the kids weren't old enough for the piñata, but that's okay. There's a lot of stuff the kids weren't old enough. I mean, that's the way uh, people are with their kids, including our kids. And uh, Well, it was gale-forced winds, too. It was a little breezy, but they weren't going to get that piñata in a still moment. I mean, they, they didn't understand. No, but I mean, that, uh, you know, that made the balloons go crazy. Yeah. The tablecloth on the picnic table was crazy. But it was sunny and it was still crazy. a beautiful day. Yes. It was still a beautiful day. And uh, Pepper will remember this for about 20 minutes. And then uh, who knows? Right. Who knows? But her but, parents But we had a good time. Yes, we had a good time. And we had a good time in California generally. We find, we get an Airbnb. We found a place that you can get uh, a neighborhood that's by the beach. So we spend every morning by the water, which is beautiful. It's a very nice In the water. You went in the water every single day. You went in the water a couple of days. Yeah, most, most of the time. One day, yeah. I, did, and I, I think I didn't in. quite make it. It wasn't, didn't take much to get into the water. It wasn't that tough. The water wasn't cold. This is the warmest the Pacific has been in all our trips to the, to the Pacific. Still a bit brisk. Uh, it was fine. And uh, I had no trouble getting in. And it was, uh, it's beautiful. You're on the beach. It's this pristine beach. We, previously, they had been in Santa Monica, also a beautiful beach. But frankly, there are more people there. Ventura, uh, even fewer people. That's that's not at all a, a disadvantage, and uh, it's a beautiful, pristine beach. So you uh, you can't beat it in a lot of ways. So we had uh, a good weekend. Also, as luck would have it, yeah. my brother Bryce and his wife oh, Lorna, yeah, what are the chances? Flew in. Flew in because Bryce uh, has access to an airplane and he can fly. That's right. And uh, so they drop by, and they're there for like twenty minutes. Yeah. In uh, in the twenty minutes, Bryce completely repaired uh, the shed out behind uh, Pepper's house, yes. and uh, you know discussed uh, like 
electrical improvements and all, all manner of stuff. Yeah, Bryce is handy, but that doesn't really begin to capture the situation. Bryce is uh, looking at uh, what has to be done with respect to the shed door. He figures that out. He figures out what was done incorrectly in the past. He undoes that. He redoes it. He rehangs the other door. With, he puts without... The- a trip to the hardware store. No, he just... He did. just used what was there. Right. He, he, he liberated the, some screws, which he felt weren't performing any purpose at all, put them where they would be performing a purpose. Given enough time, he, he could have really done a lot of good for them, but he did a fair bit of good in the short time he was yeah. there. So they, I said so to them... So it was fun to see them. Yeah. I said to them, in their, hair, in their home repairs, renovations, improvement, they have to find another Bryce. Surely there's a Bryce who lives in Ventura, California. Uh, there, there's some skepticism about that, but uh, that's what you need. That's what you need. That you need that more than anything, frankly, uh, in order to fix that place up. So uh, that was good. So uh, we had a nice, you know, we can't complain about the travel. The plane trips were fine, right? And uh, this is where we catch up on our movie going, you right? know. So at least I did. I saw a couple of films going out there, as one does. Um, right. And it was kind of interesting because. Uh, you know, I got to see Licorice Pizza on the way out, which had been uh, talked up uh, as, uh, you know, in some people's view, the best picture of the year. Certainly a very interesting movie uh, made by Paul Thomas Anderson, who's made a lot of very interesting movies in the past. Uh, there Will Be Blood and uh, Boogie Nights and um, what's the one with uh, Shadow? With Daniel Day-Lewis, when he's the sewing one. I'll, I'll get it, but you know what I'm talking about. Right, I do. Yeah. Phantom uh, Thread. Phantom Thread, exactly right. So, very interesting movies. And this is a movie about growing up in uh, California. Uh, and it was, again, much praise. And it was nominated for Best Picture. Um, but didn't win. So, I was really prepared to see something uh, really excellent. And uh, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just wasn't. The truth is... It just wasn't. It fell short in a lot of ways. Now, look, I know I'm watching on an airplane, but even so, it turns out the story behind this is this, that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is a friend named Gary Getzman, who's a uh, producer in, uh, in, in Hollywood. Uh, and uh, he was a child actor, and he has all these funny stories about being a child actor you know, 30, 40 years ago and his experiences as a teenager being a child actor and beyond and the funny businesses he got in, etc., growing up. And I guess they're really funny stories. Uh, but the problem is that uh, Anderson decided to make a movie based on these stories, and they don't make a movie. Uh, <laughs> they're not even close to making a movie. And I guess he and Gary sat around and said, that's pretty good. But <laughs> if you're not him and Gary, I don't know about this. Okay. And and the funny thing is that um, they there's another piece of it that's odd, and uh, odd in a good way. In that uh, there's a girl character movie uh, who plays the what's called the girlfriend of the Gary Getzman stand-in, and she's played by by a young woman named Alana Heim. Now Alana Heim is part of a sister singing act called Heim, and the story behind that is uh, that uh, they they're somewhat popular in California, and uh, Paul Thomas Anderson become aware of them and like them, and it turned out by total coincidence that uh, the mother of the three girls in the scene group was uh, a teacher of his. He didn't realize this. When he was in middle school and introduced him to uh, the arts to some degree and was an inspiration to him and so on. So he reconnected with her, reconnected with the family, made some of their music videos, and uh, in fact, Alana Heim, the daughter, becomes the star of this movie. And the truth is, she's really good. 
And a lot of people recognize this. And and what's a little confusing, remember we were sitting there and I said, look at the description of the movie. I, I don't even recognize it. There's something wrong here. Well, the description of the movie was about the guy going through X and Y. That's not what the movie's about. She takes over the movie. The movie's her movie, mm-hmm. okay? And uh, which is a positive, but it shows the weakness in the framework otherwise with respect to the film. So I was disappointed. I then, on the way back, saw Top Gun Maverick. And you might say, oh, I'm slumming now. Or I might have said that even to myself in a weak moment because that's a super popular movie. It's an action movie. It's a Tom Cruise movie. You know, it's it's a popcorn movie, not a serious movie. And that was pretty good. That was uh, very good. It was better than the Wicker Speech, I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's something to be said for a simple story well told. And that's all the Top Gun movie is. It's not pretending to be anything else. It's a little hokey in spots, a little improbable spots. Okay, we live with that. But, you know, it's not like I was seeing it uh, on the big screen. I'm watching these airplanes on a very small, very small rectangle. And it was so fun. It was, it was, it was great. Yeah. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> so it's my connection with popular culture. I apologize uh, to the movie gods, but that's the way I felt. But you, you watched a few minutes of a, a Bourdain documentary. Yeah, um, Anthony Bourdain, uh, you know the uh, chef mm-hmm. who passed away recently, um, and. Uh, I, yeah, I could, in the list of movies, I couldn't find too much that uh, mm-hmm. I found really compelling. So this is a documentary called Roadrunner. Yeah. And uh, I didn't finish it. Well, that's a bad sign. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, but, you know, biographies are tough in general because mm-hmm. sometimes uh, a very interesting person just doesn't make a, a very uh, interesting story. Yeah. I mean... It, I don't know how to explain it because it, his story should be interesting, mm-hmm. but it was just uh, I I wasn't uh, completely engaged. Um, so it told he, he committed suicide. He was found. Uh, he hung himself in right. his hotel room right. in France, and um, so it was I guess trying to explain, trying to lead up to that, trying to show his life, and I think the gist of it was that he had created this character uh the the character in his television shows uh about uh, going around the world to incredible places and eating incredible food and not just incredible in the sense of delicious but uh you know just bizarre right. and uh you know and you know just uh, all corners of the world kind of thing and I, I did, by the time I stopped watching, he was complaining bitterly about, you know, just, uh, he was hating his life and he was hating himself. Really? Uh, and um, so it was just... Uh, it's, it's odd because he's kind of, at, at a stone's throw, at, at some distance, he's portrayed as something to aspire to in a sense, that he's living an adventurous life and he's out there. Well, he was, he was a real rock star, and right. he was recognized on every corner. And they did have footage of him just, you know, he tries to walk down the street, and he really can't. Yeah. Um, and he, um, so it was tough. And, uh, and, and now there's a new book. Now there's a new book that uh, claims to reveal even more, I guess, uh, because his friends and uh, colleagues were pretty protective. Mm-hmm of him around the time of his death, after mm-hmm. his death. And so now, allegedly more stories 
have uh, come out. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, so so that was uh, a medium experience. Although I was interested when I read this morning um, that uh, when he did die, he uh, was actually taking a, a fair amount of steroids. And now is that a negative effect on him? Apparently, yes. Uh, which was interesting to me because, you know, um, two weeks ago, I had a bee sting on a bike ride. Right. And I did, for the first time in my life, I had a lot of bee stings. First time in my life, I had kind of an extreme reaction. Right. And I think it wasn't a bee. I think it was a wasp. And right. it, it did sting me many times because it got caught in my helmet. But um, so I had, uh, I ended up uh, getting the epi shot. And uh, following up with that, they gave me a course of steroids. And I've been telling everybody I know that while I was on the steroids, I was invincible. Yeah. You know, I could do, I felt I could do anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, all my aches and pains and inflammation had totally disappeared. And uh, I was riding up hills like it was nothing. It was a great week for me. Uh, I mean, it, you know, upsets your stomach and so on. And I know there are all these kinds of uh, side effects, uh, famous side effects of steroids. They're not good for you, ultimately. But uh, I guess now I understand um, why athletes, why even everyday people may want to take them in a way I didn't understand well, before. Well, I'll have to read more about exactly what he was getting out of them and exactly how they... Had a deleterious effect. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, it's a sad, sad story, and it's a rough story. Um, uh, but uh, it didn't. Uh, it didn't compel me to stick through the movie. All right. Well, so anyway, so that's uh, and uh, I watched that on one um, on the way back. I guess I don't know. Um, but uh, on one flight, I was just enjoying reading so much. I just read the whole. I read for six hours. Which is really? great. Yeah. Well, we've been a little busy lately, so I haven't right. had that much time to just sit down and read. Listen, and that was fun. The choices are, uh, you know, it looks like it's a lot of movies, but not you want to see. I can tell you, after Licorice Peach and Top Gun, my next choice was Rear Window, the old <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock movie. I didn't get to that, but that tells you what else there was. So, in any event, while we were, uh, just as we were leaving, uh, there was an article in the paper and we've heard this news generally about a lot of, a lot of Broadway shows closing. And they are closing. I mean... Phantom announced that it's closing, and Phantom is sort of the iron-clad show that's been going on for 35 years, and you can't really shed tears over a show that's been open for 35 years. But you just look at the economics, it costs them like a million dollars a year just to put it on. So they need to have a certain amount of ticket sales uh, in order to keep make it go forward. So even if you sell three-quarters of the house, it doesn't work. And it's the normal you know, points about uh, lack of tourism, uh, some people not going to shows, and whatever, but it's uh, it seems to be enough that it's a wave that has overtaken a whole bunch of shows. I mean, Music Man's closing at the end of the year. Um, Come from Away is closing. Everything's closing. I, mean, everything's I shouldn't say everything. Closing. I should say everything's closing. They, they had a list of shows that they say will go on. Indefinitely, The Lion King will go on. Wicked will go on. Uh, but a lot of those are uh, fueled by you know, young people going to the show, families going to the shows. Um, and, uh... So are you getting nervous? Oh, well, I'm not nervous. It's not my money. No, but, I know, but that, uh, Broadway is... Oh, yeah, look, you know... Falling apart, changing. Fall, you know, Broadway, the fabulous invalid, right? That's the phrase. It always looks like it's falling apart. 
I don't worry about that. I, I am somewhat aware of the economics of Broadway and what it takes to put on a show with a 1,200-seat theater. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of things combining, including, uh, you know, higher wages, union rules, which are in some ways are good. Uh, in a lot of ways are good. But uh, um, that's not good for the economics. You, you can't just uh, put something on so easily unless you have an ironclad uh, return. And a lot of these shows, I mean, what's going to give an example? Beetlejuice is closing. Okay. So Beetlejuice, a lot of people liked Beetlejuice. It's not for me, but a lot of people liked it. And they sold a lot of tickets and they, they went away at one point for the pandemic, but they came back. They didn't come close to making back their investment. They didn't mm. come close. And they had a run. It's not like they, they didn't have a run. Mm. They did. So, you know what they always say about uh, Broadway? Uh, uh, you can't make a living, but you can make a killing. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you, if you own Phantom, you made a killing. But, but generally speaking, it's always been a tough business and it's just tougher now. Uh, and, and how New York comes back, you know, who knows? But uh, that's one of those, um, New York's got to really come back for Broadway to prosper. It's not, you know, a medium level New York uh, doesn't do it for Broadway. So. All right. So you've had a few minutes to look at the newspaper. What do you see? Well, there, there was an interesting article on um, Yvonne uh, Chenard. I mean, he's the guy who owns Patagonia. He's giving the company away. Uh, he's putting it in a trust so that its profits will go to pay for environmental causes. And the thought is that it says it has the figure here that they make profits of some $100 million a year. So that's really what he's giving away, $100 million a year going forward if the company continues to prosper. Patagonia, you know, obviously being an outdoor gear um, company. And his story is an interesting story in that he's a guy who his background is not retail. He grows up an outdoorsman. And he's looking for better gear, and that leads him into making this gear, having people make this gear, and meets people into marketing, whatever, and becomes a big company. You say, well, that's a once-in-a-lifetime story. Well, there's another guy who has the same once-in-a-lifetime story, so it's twice in a lifetime. That's Doug Tompkins. Same, well, same, similar enough story for our purposes, and he starts the North Face. And, uh, you know, they both are environmentally conscious because they have legitimate backgrounds related to adventure, you know, adventure trips, uh, and they become buddies. Uh, and uh, they set up programs to give away at some point, uh, Patagonia is giving away 1% of its, of its, uh, revenues. Uh, and, um, they form a group called the Doughboys where they go on adventures together and included in that group is none other than Tom Brokaw, the, uh, NBC, uh, anchorman. For many mm. years. I learned mm. he worked for NBC for more than 50 years. So Brokaw, uh, who retired, I don't know, it must be 10 years ago. Um, South, he's from South Dakota. And he's always been interested in, in the environment and uh, adventure trips and like. He becomes close buddies with these two guys. And he talks about uh, his great trips with Yvonne uh, and with Doug. Uh, and um, he even says, he literally says that uh, he enjoyed these trips so much so. This is a quote that he stepped down early from the NBC Nightly News so he could spend more time with them. Now, that's not the way I remember. I remember he was somewhat elderly when he stepped down. Fine. <laughs> he obviously uh, liked it fine. And this is also, this is not a small thing. In one of the trips in 2015, Doug dies of hypothermia when winds flipped his kayak on a Patagonia lake. Uh, <laughs> and they say, wow, I thought he was indestructible. So uh, these are real trips, I guess. 
So this is from an article written by Broco, right? Written by Broco in the Times. Patagonia's reluctant billionaire does good. In any event, well, what he's saying is the Yvonne Chouinard is a great guy. He's legitimate. He really believes in the environment. And it's a great thing he's doing as a billionaire, giving away all this money to help the environment. Maybe other people should do the same. Uh, so it, it, interesting, primarily. I mean, we all read this story about Chouinard. We were all aware of it. But interesting to hear Broco write about it because he's someone that he knows uh, firsthand. Um, there was also a story so, talking sorry. about yeah, real estate yes, and renovation. Yes. Oh, you found an interesting story. Yes, I did. I did. So I'm just going to go into uh, this. Just uh, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. Uh, this family. Uh, well, let me back up. There's a there was a high school gymnasium in uh, Wilkinson, which is a town, a small town, very small town in Indiana. But they had a high school. They had a high school, high school gymnasium, and it uh, went up for sale. It was erected in 1950. Um, and the school had combined with another school, so no one was using the building, no one was using the gymnasium. It had fallen into some disrepair. Uh, and this family who lives in uh, Wilkinson, Kyle and Lauren Petrie, uh, lived so close by, they thought they'd come by and take a look at the gymnasium. And they see this 11,000 square foot gym, this is cavernous space. Uh, and it says literally a week and a half later while sitting in church, the couple experienced a moment of clarity. They wanted to own it, they realized. They called the real estate agent that morning and made an offer, and the offer was accepted. Uh, and I understand the offer was for $300,000. So now they own this gym, uh, thousand uh, square foot gym situation. And it turns out this became a little bit of a cause to live for a short time. Some people picked up the listing. It was on social media. By the next day, there were all these other offers that were in excess of theirs that their offer had been accepted. They decided not to flip it. They could have gotten you know, all their money back plus 100% more. Uh, and uh, they're trying to work on redeveloping it. Uh, and it's hard to know how you can redevelop it. Apparently, the couple owned it before them had built some kind of lodging during part of the, in part of the space. That said, there were bats in some corner of the gym, and there are some rodents in some other corner, and there's a lot of work. and And the couple says it's going to cost them three hundred thousand dollars, another three hundred thousand dollars to, to make renovate the space, right? But in the meantime, uh, they like the the vibe. The moment of clarity can persists. Uh, people have come by to donate old yearbooks associated with the school, uh, an old cheerleader <laughs> uniform associated with the school. And there's this great tradition in Indiana about high school basketball. And they interview all these people. And the article will say there was nothing as exciting. You know, the crops were in by, by the wintertime. In the wintertime, were cold months with nothing to do. But what you had every Friday night was you could see the light in this gymnasium, everybody driving there, getting ready for the high school basketball game. You could smell the popcorn. They know the schools weren't big enough to have a football team, but they mm -hmm. only need five to play basketball. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, it was just a, a moment in time that was so great. And it's so great that this family is, is keeping it alive, in a sense, by keeping this gymnasium alive. But right now, it's like uh, the mother says, every time the kids come home from school on the school bus, there's like three or four more kids with them to come visit them to play at their house. And she comes <laughs> home in the afternoon. It's like 25 kids in the gymnasium. They're just friends coming <laughs> home from school. And they're still trying to figure it out. So um, it's a funny story. And, uh, you know, we'll see. They'll continue to work on it. But. They're going to keep the flame alive, so to speak. All right. And you? 
Got anything else? Uh, well, I have uh, I have a story that I want to end on, the great Ron Bloomberg story. No, I don't have much of anything. Um, you, I see I, you've got I, something in front of you. Well, I, just uh, a reminder, there's a, a what sounds like a great new exhibition has opened up at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It's called Hear Me Now, The Black Potters of Old Edgefield, South Carolina. And the uh, New York Times had a review. Uh, very excited by uh, Roberta Smith. And uh, some great pictures of just these fantastic old jugs uh, from the 19th century. Um, Some uh, created by slaves, uh, some uh, by uh, freed slaves, uh, and, uh, you know, a a variety of workers. And also these great face jugs. I don't know. I'm holding up the picture so you can see it. I don't know if you've ever seen these um i think i've seen something like yeah, them like they're, antique road they're quite interesting as well anyway uh, but the, the the big simple uh jugs are are uh look uh, fantastic um dying to go see this show and and, and uh, you know and thinking about it i realize there are a lot of, a lot of terrific shows at the metropolitan museum right now there's that uh one called chroma that's about the um um Painted uh, Greek scat- st- oh, yeah, sculptures, yeah, yeah, yeah. I that. so you can Chroma. see how they. Yeah, it's called Chroma, and uh, they're juxtaposed with the way we see the sculptures right. now, the the plain ma- white marble sculptures. So that'd still be fun to see. There's a show about uh, connecting Walt Disney animation with uh, you know the history of uh, French uh, decorative design and how you know the animators, the designers, the uh, were um, inspired mm-hmm. uh, by you know all these historical uh, settings and pieces, uh, which which I had noticed and we've talked about in the past. There's an exhibition about uh, Dutch masterpieces, kimonos. Uh, so it's a good time if uh, anybody has time to get to the Met. And I think I will have to. Oh, you said you... that I, I thought this was MoMA. No, Metropolitan Museum oh. of Art. Oh, okay. Um, so maybe I'll follow you into New York one day. You're still going in now and then to clean out your <laughs> well, I, office. I, I could maybe I'll follow you in. So none of this med. is at, at Mo- none of this is the Museum of Modern Art. It's all met. Right, I said okay. Metropolitan Museum okay. I of Modern Art. All right, all right. No, I was no, going to tell no. you to come because Mom is right next to my office. Okay, yeah. Upper West, Upper East there, Side. There's there's a world outside of uh, the Debevoise Corridor. I had. Well, it's only twenty or thirty blocks north. Yeah. Okay. Good. I wonder how many people are going to the museum these days. Do you have any idea? I I have no clue. I'm curious because, of course, in the past, uh, the Met was getting so crazy crowded. Right. Um, but uh, no, I I will well, have two to... things for obviously the pandemic, and then uh, you have people either working from home or changing their lifestyle. But you also have uh, they raise the fees. I, yeah. Whether that has any effect, I don't know. All right. So I will go and report back. Okay. All right. So. This is, uh, I thought we'd close with something which is very apt to the holiday, namely uh, Rosh Hashanah. Um, Jewish New Year. Jewish New Year, exactly right. Which Uh, I always think is a great thing. It's that time of year where you get to start fresh. And it's going to be followed in a few weeks by Yom Kippur. That's right. Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's a more somber holiday, but yes. Somber holiday, but it's interesting to me because it seems like a cleansing holiday. And I, I think that's the way to start a new year. Okay. So, in any event, it's an article by Gerald Eskenazi, who I remember as a sports writer. I think he might have written for the Post 
uh, as opposed to the Times, or, or maybe he wrote for both. But anyway, this is an article, sort of a uh, uh, remembrance uh, that appears in the Times, and it's called "Remembering a Deadline." Uh, single by Ronald Bloomberg, and Ronald Bloomberg was a um, baseball player for the Yankees, who was reasonably well known and frankly reasonably successful. Uh, kind of a big guy uh, from Georgia. Uh, who did not hit home runs. And that was always a problem. He's a big guy. He's a Yankee. He should be hitting home runs. He hit for average. He had a lot of singles. So that's effective. There's something to that. But if you don't run well, and Bloomberg didn't run well, and you're not a flashy fielder, which he certainly wasn't, and you don't hit home runs, you're not a star. Uh, although, you know, on that Yankee team, which was a very weak team, he's clearly one of the better players. In any event, Ashkenazi, the writer, gets a, gets a gig. Uh, covering the Yankees, which is a fantastic post for him. It's really a step forward. And uh, he's covering the Yankees on an afternoon game uh, right before era of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah would start at 7 o'clock or 7.15 at sundown. The game starts at 2.15. And uh, he's saying, well, I should be able to make it because it's a 2.15 game. Uh, he lives in Roslyn. We call Roslyn near Jericho in, in the middle of the aisle, so it's a little bit of a trip. But, you know, the game should end at 4, 4.30, and he'll get on a train, and he'll manage. Uh, and uh, he, sure enough, the game goes into extra innings, right? So now he's panicked because uh, what is he going to do? He, has to, it's, he also has to file the story at the end of the game and then get on the train. So time is going to be tight if the game goes on, right? Uh, and... Uh, they get up to the uh, bottom of the uh, 10th inning and um, the Yankees need a run to win the game. Otherwise, it's going to go on to the 11th or 12th, God knows what. Uh, and uh, they managed to get a man on uh, third and then it's first to third because there's a walk with one out. Um, and who comes to the plate but Ron Bloomberg? Now, what I didn't tell you was Ron Bloomberg was Jewish. Jewish, Jew from I had Georgia. a feeling from the story. <laughs> a Jew from Georgia, which is kind of unlikely. But in any event, there he was. And he was, uh, uh, you know, he's in a spot uh, looking to get a hit or even a long fly ball would do it because a long fly ball would get the run home and that would be the end of the game. And uh any event, sure enough, uh, after uh, the count goes deep, he hits that long fly ball and the run scores and the Yankees win. And Askenazi is, is joyous because now everything is going to fall into place for him. He's going to get, going to be able to file a story and get home uh, in time for the holiday. And he walks into the locker room after the game. And he says, there was a jubilant Bloomberg in the middle of the locker room, quote, saying, if the count had been three and two and the sun went down, I would have left for Temple. So he's got that line for his story. And Askenazi is very excited. He can make the story about Bloomberg has to get home for Rosh Hashanah. Although it's not clear to him whether Bloomberg's observant or not. And uh, he gets another uh, one or two other juicy quotes. He puts the story together and uh, writes the headline and rushes into Temple. Um, and he's hopeful that when he looks at the paper the next morning that they filed his story, that they printed his story, that maybe they even used his headline, uh, which was... Um, Bloomberg gives Yanks 3-2 victory in ninth and a happy new year. Well, sure enough, when he goes to Temple on Saturday morning, right, 
after going Friday night, uh, the rabbi holds up the newspaper article <laughs> and holds up the story and reads the headline, Bloomberg gives Yanks victory and Happy New Year. And then he reads the subtitle, Sundown Kid Hits Deadline Single. <laughs> Which is exactly what Ashkenazi wrote. So uh, he was thrilled. And he was, a, he was uh, a figure, a figure in his congregation for a short time at least. So there you go. Okay, we've people. got to run. We've got okay. a date with Ozzy. Date with Ozzy. Date with Ozzy. So that's all. This is Tamsin Granger. And Dan Abuha. With Tamsin and Dan, read the paper. Happy New Year. And we'll see you next week.